This is Leader ReadyCast, a monthly podcast featuring real-world lessons, best practices, and action-oriented insights for the urgent moments when you're called upon to lead. Leader ReadyCast is the official podcast of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative, a joint program of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the Center for Public Leadership at the Harvard John F. Kennedy School of Government. Subscribe to Leader ReadyCast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome, I'm your host, Eric McNulty. One of the most challenging public safety environments is a major public event with large crowds, plenty of media attention, and professionals drawn from multiple agencies and jurisdictions. For many years now, the greater Boston area has used such events as opportunities to train and learn. Among the highest profile of these is the city's annual July 4th celebration held on the Charles River Esplanade though with the parks and neighborhoods along both sides of the river full of celebrants. Joining us today to discuss the meta-leadership challenges of this event is Major Richard Ball of the Massachusetts State Police. He's a 26-year veteran of the force, has worked in numerous high-profile roles, and is an alumnus of the MPLI, Cohort 16. Rick, welcome to Leader ReadyCast. Thank you, Eric. Honored to be here. Well, thank you. We really appreciate your time. We know you're busy. I'd like to start off by giving our listeners a, a sense of the scope of this event. How many people attend? How many public safety agencies are involved? And roughly how many people do they deploy? Right, thank you. Yeah, so well, it's Independence Day in Boston. You know, the city's obviously steeped in history and tradition, and the, it's the birthplace of the American Revolution. So, you know, Independence Day here is a special celebration. Basically, uh, started right back around 1973. Boston started celebrating uh, the July 4th with the Boston Pops uh, musical guests and a 20-plus minute fireworks spectacular. You know, the tradition was started way back by uh, Boston philanthropist David Mugar and uh, a legendary uh, Boston Pops conductor, Arthur Fiedler. So the show alone is incredible. If you add in the history of the city and the venue, which is basically on the Charles River between the Longfellow Bridge and the Mass Ave Bridge, as many as uh, half a million people come out, weather dependent, uh, and they spread across both sides of the river. So keeping them safe requires a massive effort from over 20 public safety agencies from the local, state, and federal level. We all work collaboratively, and that includes Boston and Cambridge Fire and EMS. It includes three city PDs, uh, Boston, Cambridge, Somerville, six federal agencies, five colleges in their uh, police department, uh, state partners from EOPS and uh, the MEMA and the DCR and, and the MBTA. Uh, and actually we use troopers. We use troopers from other states through our New England State Police Network, Vermont, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Rhode Island. Uh, and then the Mass National Guard comes out and supports us in big numbers every year. So all told, you know, upwards of 700 law enforcement assets working together. We form um, Multi-layered security operation, uniform, plain clothes, covert operations, uh, overt operations. I mean, no agency works alone. It's like a team concept we use. So the National Guard in uniform will be on post with our uniform troopers. Our state and federal assets all deployed into EOD teams, behavioral recognition teams, intel teams, investigative response teams, and all of those all those individuals are acutely aware that the significance of what this day in this city represent to our foreign and domestic enemies. 
you know, we, we don't forget that the Sarnef brothers initially intended to target the Esplanade on the 4th of July prior to for, for the Boston Marathon. So we, we take it very seriously, and it takes a, a great amount of, uh, of uh, planning and effort. Part of what we found in our research on the Boston Marathon bombing response was part of the reason that went so well was the uh, team-based uh, training and deployment that goes into events like the 4th of July, that you've been uh, using these major public events as a sort of planned emergency way to get used to working together and to really get a lot of the kinks out of the system. Sure. We're always honing our skills. So what is the role in particular of the, of the Mass State Police, and what is your role in particular? All right. Well, so everybody's role is public safety, obviously, you know, it's to provide the most uh, effective and professional public safety service we can to everybody that comes to celebrate the nation's independence in Boston. So the event occurs on the state property and occurs at the Esplanade, uh, which is under the control of the Department of Conservation and Recreation. So the state police have primary jurisdictional responsibility for policing it because it's state property. So as the troop commander for the uniform branch of the state police, within the jurisdictional responsibility for Eastern Massachusetts, the event falls on me to be the incident commander. So that means I represent the state police in unified command. We participate in unified command in all our major events. So I have three responsibilities, three main responsibilities. The planning part of it, it's determining what resources and tactics I need to ensure the safe and efficient movement of the pedestrians and the traffic to and from the event. And that would not be possible without the MBTA and the MBTA Police Department. And then two, I need to uh, facilitate the coordination of all the resources, federal, state, local level, uh, including the private sector. Um, Fisher College is a huge partner of ours. They step up every year for us. It's, they're located just adjacent to the venue. And then uh, my last responsibility is to effectively and uh, professionally manage the incident to a uh, safe conclusion and make sure everybody gets there and enjoys the show and gets home safely. So you've got a very quiet and relaxed day uh, on July 4th, <laughs> it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. July 4th, uh, the 3rd, too. I mean, we have maybe 30-plus um, thousand people that come out to watch the practice. So we start, we actually start the day before. Um, yes, we have assets. It actually is a multi-day multi, multi -day event. It is. Not intended to be, but people know that, you know, it's uh, they're going to be able to hear the music if they come out on the 3rd. And the 3rd is a rain taping. So were there be some weather uh, to preclude um, the event on the 4th, they would play they would play the uh, what they recorded on the 3rd. So July 3rd, July 4th. When do you actually start planning this event? Well, truthfully, the planning never ends. We already have the after action for, for 2019's July 4th planned. And we will go through, it's already scheduled. So we'll go through the less, lessons learned. We'll take input from everybody that was participated. Uh, I know additionally, the Fusion Center, the Boston Regional Intelligence Center, and the FBI are always vigilant for intelligence and threats or anything that mentions Boston or the 4th of July. So we get those, uh, you know, emails and alerts all year long. And uh, and those are run to ground. And I said, there's no, there's no credible threat to, to this year's event at all. But, but we're we're constantly vigilant. We're constantly watching, monitoring events that occur around the the country and the world, and we take appropriate steps to prevent copycatting and mitigate our vulnerabilities. But that said, you know, the B4 is the production company for the show. They arrange the fireworks. They arrange the musical talent. They 
run the show and, and, and broadcast it uh, onto Bloomberg Television. They start a planning communication immediately following the Boston Marathon. So most of the agencies involved in the, in the July 4th uh, public safety planning and execution are also responsible for the Boston Marathon planning and execution. So right after the marathon, B4 Productions will send out a, um, a schedule of events or a schedule of uh, meetings. Uh, we have multi-agent agency coordination meetings that, that occur from basically the end of April and the end culminating with a tabletop exercise just prior to our, uh, our deployment on the 4th. And for our listeners who aren't aware, the Boston Marathon takes place every year in the middle of April. So you've got basically the middle of April to the beginning of July when that most intensive planning happens. Which is, it's, that's a fairly long, uh, it's long, but it's short in many ways. And I guess it, it helps you, you do plan year round because there's a lot of moving parts in, involved in, in both of those events, both the marathon and the 4th of July. Now, obviously an event of this scope and scale uh, requires abundant cooperation, collaboration, and communication. Rick, how do you as a meta leader uh, approach this challenge? Yeah, well, definitely an incredible amount of collaboration for sure and, uh, and an incredible amount of trust. So, you know, I look at it, there, there is no room for micromanagement. You know, leading here in Boston means involving all the stakeholders and developing shared objectives and each agency, each individual that comes out has a role to play. So uh, from a meta leadership perspective, I feel like it's just you have to have that respect and trust for the contribution of others, you know. It's my, you know, my own opinion that, that whether you're trying to prevent a crisis or responding to one, the more people who, who are involved in the plan, the more effective your outcome will be. I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to include as many people in, in the planning as possible, get their input, uh, understand what they're trying to accomplish and, and what their, their own responsibilities back to their own agencies are and make sure everybody's working together to get the job done. And so it sounds like while you, again, you have authority as the, as the commander ultimately responsible for this, people also have a lot of autonomy within the, the general direction given in terms of here's the mission, here's what the day to go like, and then you've got to allow for a fair amount of autonomy on the ground because there's just people all over the place. It is. You know, it, it is. It's, it's, it's massive, right? I mean, it is, there's just so much that, that you have to be cognizant of, and there's no way that one individual could be cognizant of it all. So you have to you have to trust your people, and you you put the plan in place, which is why I think that what we're talking about is is you start that planning with everybody, and then everybody has buy-in, and if everybody buys into the plan and understands what ha- what needs to happen, then uh, then we're going to be much better off if something does go wrong. Yeah, it reminds me very much of the the idea of swarm leadership that came out of our Boston Marathon bombing response. Again, that research. Um, where we found that um, the various agencies involved, they knew their job, they did their job, they were credible doing their job, which allowed a lot of, uh, removed a lot of barriers or competitive the nature that, that people sometimes have in a, a major event to say, hey, we'll do our piece, they're doing their piece, and here's what we can, we can share and work well together. Uh, but it didn't require anybody to uh, have to sort of impose uh, strict structure across the entire entire operation. Are, are, as you enter this kind of challenge, is there any particular meta leadership tool that you find particularly helpful? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I actually drew this on my on my dry erase board in my office. The cone and the cube. You know, I guess I'll, 
I'll leave that. I'll leave that to you to describe it. But uh, but it it, taught, it teaches perspective, right? So it reminds me to to try to see things from all possible angles, and then and it reminds me to respect others' opinions because they're probably not looking at the situation the same way I am. Yeah, and for our listeners who have not seen the cone in the cube, imagine if you could a cube in that cube is a cone. If the walls of the cube are opaque and I drill a hole, uh, a circle hole in the side and you look in, you're going to see, guess what, a triangle. And if I were to drill a hole in the top and you look in, you look down, you would see a circle. And of course, the question is, who's right? And neither person looking in that, they're just looking through one hole is going to be correct. There's no, it's not a triangle in there. It's not a uh, circle in there. It's both. It's a cone. Uh, and you only get to discern the full picture of what's happening by integrating the perspectives from the side and the top. And, and of course, in an actual event, July 4th, uh, what's inside that cube is much more complex than a, than a cone, and it requires looking through a lot more peepholes. And so I'm glad to know, Rick, that you've drawn that up on the board and you keep it with you. I do think it's a valuable tool to always remind you, remind oneself that you never have all of the answer and anybody else may have part of the answer and you got to bring it together in order to get real situational awareness and understand what you need to do yeah no i mean that, that it's it's helped me be effective in in even small things you know transfer meetings we sit there and we i look up and i'm you know you look at it from a from a, a young trooper's perspective you know you if i move him to a different barracks he's gonna he might be he might be on a different shift. That could be a whole life change to him, you know? So I always try to look at, like, what, what the decision I make, how does that affect the people, you know, as it, as it, as it goes through the ranks? No, I think that's good. And, and uh, as our Kennedy School colleague, uh, Julia Kayem, always says or taught me, everyone is right in their own narrative. So if somebody's looking through that, that side and they see, a tri- they see a triangle in there, boy, they can be really convinced they're a triangle. And that's absolutely it. It does take rising up to that, that meta level. So you got a neighbor who's worried about noise. You got to realize, actually, for them, that is an issue. Even though they should realize, the Fourth of July, a few people come into the neighborhood and might make a little noise for a few hours. Yeah, for sure. A few, five hundred thousand. Um, connectivity would seem to be central to both preparing for and managing such an event. I mean, how do you think about leading up, down, across, and, and beyond? Well, yeah, you brought up. Connectivity, you know, uh, in Boston, I think connectivity, you know, occur. It's constantly occurring, right? Um, you definitely don't want to meet anybody for the first time in a crisis, you know. And all of our major events are managed under unified command. So the mentoring part on our own job, our own our own department, we're bring always bringing people along, bringing them up, trying to trying to keep them, introduce them around, you know, just so that you're constantly uh, making those connections and fostering the relationships that you need, but you need, it's, it's continuous, you know, but as far as leading, I, you know, I, I just, I'm just trying to do my job. NPLI teaches that leadership's about influence, not control. My old, my dad always used to tell me, you know, if you need to tell somebody that you're in charge then you're not really in charge. So I feel that your ability to influence is based on the integrity of your intent. So if you're always trying to focus on the job at hand and not self-promotion and you're generally trying to do what is right and you respect other people's perspective and their opinions and you listen to them, 
then you'll have influence. You'll have it up, down, and across, um, and most importantly, across. I think if if you're considered um, with influence amongst your peers, then your peers, then you then you, you will get the influence that those peers have as well. And I think that's what's most effective uh, in a public safety uh, operation. Well, that's a very good point. I think your dad's a wise man. Um, as soon as someone tries to hit that I'm in charge button, it usually puts some fear through the system and some resentment and um, it just breaks down function. Um, you know, people don't react as well when they're fearful as they do when they're all engaged in collaborative problem solving or trying to, trying to move things forward. And I know that, uh, you know, in, I have seen in, not here, but in other jurisdictions, a challenge leading up uh, because of the political officials, but it always, and you can comment or not, <laughs> given your position, <laughs> the, uh, the, the governor, whoever it happens to be, Deval Patrick, Charlie Baker, the mayor, um, they've been very supportive of public safety here and not, not feeling uh, compelled to, to try and get in and run the operation. Um, they let the professionals do what they need to them quite a bit of support. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't have any issues to answer in that because I, I do feel supported. I feel that I have that I have the, the room I need to, to maneuver. Um, you know, I know the governor's office is, is, is focused on public safety. Uh, the executive office of public safety, EOPS, I have their support. MEMA has been very, very helpful. The new um, MEMA co uh, director, uh, Sam Phillips, has been in communication. and we, we, It's a team effort here. And... and Politics aside, we talk. I, I, I talk to my colleagues in Boston PD. They feel the same way I do. You know, I'll give you the. What I'm trying to say is the tactics of which what what we need to do is left to the professionals with the experience and the training and the know-how to do the tactics. If I were to use to employ the air wing for a search, I wouldn't call up to the air wing on the radio and try to direct that guy and. To the grid pattern that he should fly or high, what level he should fly. The tactics that he's going to choose to accomplish what I'm asking him to accomplish, he's the pro. He knows the tactics. So when we do a major public safety event here in Boston, the, tact, the politicians leave the tactics to us. And I, that makes us feel very supported. They allow us to work the way we train and they allow us, they, they give us directive hey, this is the mission, please get it done as safely as possible. And that's what we do. So, so I feel very supported here politically. And, uh, you know, that's kudos to the people in, the, in those, uh, those elected leadership positions. Well, it's, it's good to know. And it is, you know, this outsider's perspective. I see it um, from my view, my periodic forays in, into the system. But it seems to have, it's been continuous through multiple administrations. So I think it's a bit of a cultural now that you uh, that's the way we expect our elected and appointed officials to, to approach the job now one of the important constituencies you have to lead on July 4th um, it's 500,000 of them it's the general public um, how do you lead them in a way that keeps them safe while also allowing them to have an enjoyable outing yeah that's the biggest challenge right there right the public is a critical stakeholder you know what I our success, whatever it is we're doing, is is largely based off the public's acceptance of our efforts. You know, when it comes to like if you're enforcing laws or restricting movement of people, or closing roads or searching bags in an effort to protect lives and property, 
the law enforcement's actions will be accepted as long as they're done with the absolute respect for people's individual rights. So communicating with the public is, is key. Everybody wants to know why we're doing what we're doing. So we let them know why, you know, pre-event. We let them know what to expect. During a crisis, you try to give them timely and accurate information, you know, uh, you know, and then after, you try to be as transparent as possible. Tell them what happened, you know, and to do that, we leverage all means available to get the message out. We have a significant social media platform, right? We go to the to, to the uh, traditional media at the event. We use giant message boards. We use uh, public address systems. We have the speakers from the from the concert. Mima has the ability to do cell phone alerts in a crisis. But most importantly, you know, you engage the public in person. You know, with those all those law enforcement presence on scene, we we ex- we expect them. We do, we we encourage them to engage the public, to talk to the public, to to give them direction, to build trust, and and I think that's the the, the way that we we kind of leverage that. We're trying to influence the public as well. We, we're not going to control five hundred thousand people where they want to go if they all want to go in a certain direction, but we can we can explain to them why it's safer if they go in a certain direction, and we'll help them get there. And I think definitely if you show that they do that with a with a, a sincere amount of respect, then you'll get you'll get some buy-in and you'll get some help from the public. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the real uh, challenges in an event like this is you have to. It's a bit of a paradox because you have to be both the eyes looking for the bad thing that might happen and the smiles of making people feel welcome. Um, and it is. It's good, good to hear you using that, you know, telling people why you're doing things. I know research from our colleague out at Arizona State, Bob Cialdini, and we talk about it in the program. We talk about influence, which you mentioned earlier. Um, there's some research that, that he cites uh, about the uh, how much greater compliance you get simply by using the word because. Um, you know, because it's safer to go that way, because we need you to move quickly. Um, that the humans seem to respond better when they've got a, some reason. They may be a big reason or, or even sometimes the right reason, um, but just giving them something, saying because, gets people to the mindset of, oh, I should do this. Uh, and so I think that forging your relationships, that being willing to pose for the, for the selfies and, and, and be the friendly people helps you a lot. Yeah, we hope nothing goes wrong, but if it does, and being able to direct the public. Yeah, so we, you know, even something simple like, uh, you know, you, we have a, troopers assigned to the to the security checkpoints, and and they'll people say, well, why can why can you get in with a with a big beach bag, you know, but you can't get in with a backpack, and we tell them, well, it's about speed of screening. We're going to try to screen, you know, thousands of people through this checkpoint to go to go to the, see the show. Uh, you can open a bag and look in a bag, but if it's a backpack, it's got eight to 12 zipped compartments and it takes too long to search it. Why can't you bring in, why can you bring in a small cooler, but you can't bring in a big cooler? Well, if a big cooler comes in with, you know, 48 cans in it, each can could be, have its own hidden. We can't search 48 cans to make sure that they're not, then they're not holding some kind of contraband or dangerous uh, item. So when you, when you stand there and you're smiling at people and you're talking to them and you're, you're genuinely engaging them and telling them why, you, that that expands upon itself. They tell somebody else, and then uh, you tell the troopers, they, hey, you, you, I expect you to be vigilant, 
right? Uh, you be looking around, you're trying to keep people safe. That doesn't mean you can't talk to them, <laughs> can't take your picture with them, or you can't engage them in a, in a meaningful dialogue about, about whatever it is they want to talk about and explain to them why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, I think what you just said is so important because, um, again, if you're standing there in line, you realize you're not a terrorist, you're not, you're not a bad guy, uh, and you don't fully understand why some things are allowed in and why, why other things are, are not. Um, because you don't, if you, unless you've gone through setting up a checkpoint and seeing what, what actually happens and what makes it go fast, what makes it effective, what makes it less effective, um, it just look like people are being slow and stupid. Um, but that usually isn't the case. There are smart people who thought these th things through, <laughs> looked at years of experience <clears throat> to figure out how to make it better. And um, in giving people some insight into that, uh, it doesn't make things less yeah. or it just makes them better understand why you're doing what you're doing. I think that's, uh, yeah, I, 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 we recently did an article here about leading the general public, and one of the, the questions we tried to address was, in that model of up, down, across, and beyond, where do you put the public? Um, and I, I tend to put them up, much like you would lead up to the governor or to the president, um, treating them with that level of respect, understanding they don't understand the details of your operations, and ultimately they pay your salary, so they, you, you have to treat them a certain way. Um, so they aren't just there to be ordered around, but to be engaged. And it sounds like you guys take a very smart approach to that. Yeah, and, and you know, and they'll see through it if you're not sincere about it. You know, so so that's I think that's the that's the message we try to deliver because because that's that's the most effective way. And you know, the more efficiently we we can get people in and out, efficient movement of people is is equals public safety too. You know, so if we have a backup because of all that, then people start getting antsy, and especially if it's hot out. And so, you know, weather is always a huge factor for us as well. So communication with the public is key. And uh, and I appreciate you saying that, so yeah, thanks. I, I know we, we, we learned in the, uh, the bombing at the Brussels airport a couple of years back, which was targeted at and the bombs were detonated in the public area before screening. So where we so much we focus on, this, on this, the, uh, the screening point and what happens afterwards, as you say, if people are backed up trying to get through a a, a checkpoint, there's a there's a, an exposed target right there. So it's in everybody's interest to move people through smoothly, methodically, and keeping everybody safe, but keeping everybody moving along as well. Absolutely. So if you were to sort of sum all this up, and we were to drop you into another city uh, with a local leader who's about to do their first big event like this. Um, what are the first two or three pieces of advice you'd give her? Well, uh, I'd say first, first and foremost, involve everyone in the planning that's going to be part of the response. You know, your effectiveness will be greatly enhanced by the shared knowledge, right? So, you know, the more people that know the plan, um, uh, they're going to be able to better respond. Uh, and if you if you do, you you got to make sure that you empower your own your own support, and you're going to empower your own people. Each agency needs to do that. If you go down, somebody needs to take your place. You can't be, you can't have the whole plan in your head, uh, and nobody else on your own team knows it. So, so uh, that's it. Include everybody in the planning. I'd say second, um, always remain open-minded, stay flexible. Uh, none of us know what we don't know. So, if you have to continuously reevaluate and an eye toward improvement, then you got to be constantly seeing how things are going, checking in uh, and be flexible as to, hey, maybe 
something just changed that we that will require we we make an adjustment on the fly here and uh if you're not open to that then um then i think you 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 could be setting yourself a little bit backwards and then lastly i think i would uh i'm a big fan of checklists mental physical written them you write them down you can have them in your head whatever it is but Drill down like the first five things you need to do in a crisis. Drill it down in your head. Practice it over and over again. Now, if you have your first five steps memorized and something bad goes, then that will get you moving and hopefully prevent freeze up, you know, uh, and hopefully that will help lead you out of the basement in a crisis. No, absolutely. And again, for our, our listeners who may not be familiar with the term, that the basement is that part of your brain where you go when you're facing a threat, that freeze-like fight response. And the way you get out is by demonstrating some self-confidence, which is, as Rick just mentioned, a checklist is the perfect way to do that. You take a one, two, three, four, I know what to do. Um, then you get out of the basement, you get productive really quickly. Um, and so it is so comforting to be able to go there and, and uh, even if it's simple, like check the radio, it's uh, you know what to do and get you going, get you moving forward. Well, I was just going to say, you know, one of, one of the things that you know that, that that comes to mind right away is the the, the first step, right? Uh, what's the first thing you're going to do if something happens? And and it so seems so simple, but stop people from coming in. You know, the first radio transmission, stop people from coming in, and sometimes. It's like that seems like such common sense, but it's not. You got to put it out. You got to you got to direct it. You know, and um, that's like the first thing on my checklist. <laughs> so, so um, it's good because you can, again you can over you can overlook those things if you're in the in the heat of the moment when you're in that free slight fight response. Um, you can forget to do that, and uh, it's it's good to have it memorized in the checklist. And you know to go there first. So I want to thank Major Rick Ball of the Massachusetts State Police for joining us for this episode of Leader ReadyCast. And I encourage all of you to check out our new book, You're It, Crisis, Change, and How to Lead When It Matters Most. Get ready for your You're It moment and be ready to lead. This has been another episode of Leader ReadyCast from the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative. Subscribe to Leader ReadyCast wherever you get your favorite podcasts and find out more about us at npli.sph.harvard.edu. Follow us on Twitter at HarvardNPLI. Thanks for listening and be ready to lead.